couple things I wanted to, to mention uh, before we get into God's Word, and, and that is one, to uh, mention that the, the men's class will also start on Wednesday, February the 3rd, and we will be going through 2 Samuel, as you see on the slide, looking at the, the life of David as king. 1 Samuel, we see from about chapter 16 on, we see uh, David and his before he was officially serving as king, we, we see him being anointed, and, uh, and then we go through that whole process of Saul trying to kill him, and he's on the run. Well, 2 Samuel outlines uh, his life while he was reigning as king. And so we're going to walk with David, the man after God's own heart. As, uh, and as we do, we're going to grow in in understanding what this looks like to walk with God through the ups and downs, the triumphs and tragedies of life. As we observe Him, uh, even though He was a man after God's own heart, He was not, certainly not a perfect man. Uh, he made some really big mistakes. And yet, He continued to seek after God, and God continued to work in and through His life and so we're going to journey with him and learn with him and, and through him uh, how we manage when life doesn't go the way we want, when, when our, our decisions um, uh, have impact upon not only our life but the lives of those around us and, uh, and all of those things. We want to do that together. So that'll be Wednesday evenings from 6.30 to 8, starting on February 3rd, a seven-week study just as the ladies. Uh, we're going to use the same format we've used. For those of you who've, who've come out on our Wednesday night studies, uh, we will spend a little bit of time praying together, and then we will uh, split up by ourselves and read the text. So we're going to read through and uh, read three or four chapters, and so we'll have plenty of time to do that. And then we'll come back together and share together what insights God showed us from the life of David. So you'll have the opportunity to get into God's Word yourself rather than somebody just telling you what it says. And so it'll be a great time of uh, serving together. So I encourage you to come on out for that. And there are, is no homework, as Larry said. No homework. We do it all when we're together. So, uh, so that may be appealing to you. Uh, also, I wanted to, uh, again, encourage you to stay for the ABF time, as Rebecca will be sharing with us. And we're thankful for Rebecca uh, adjusting her schedule to, to be with us. And also, for those of you who, who may not realize this, uh, one of our missionaries who's with the same organization as Rebecca, serving in Indonesia, uh, Jay and Brianna, and uh, the team that's there, they have been working for 10 years preparing for what's happening right now. They have begun to be able to share God's word, God's truth with the people in the tribe that is there. They've lived among them for all these 10 years. They've learned the language. They've been writing the language out. They've been preparing lessons. And this was supposed to happen last year, but, but then COVID hit. And uh, they had to adjust because the, the people coming in to check their work weren't able to travel, all those things. But now they started last week, and they're, they're meeting from, I think, 8 in the morning to what, 5 in the afternoon? Is that what it is? No. Uh, for five days a week, they're teaching these people from creation to Christ. And, um, and so it's, it starts at 6 p.m. our time uh, because of the time difference. So as 6 o'clock in the evening comes each day of the week, 
invite you to just take a moment. Maybe you're preparing to eat dinner at that time, whatever, and just pray uh, as God is beginning uh, to use them to teach God's word to a people who've never heard uh, the life-saving message of Christ. And uh, so we're so excited to, to be able to partner with them in this ministry that is going on and, um, and to see that finally happening and uh, to be able to partner with them in prayer now as this goes on. Well, let me go ahead and pray <clears throat> as we get into Galatians chapter 5. Our gracious Father, we come before your presence now. And we thank you for uh, the opportunity to be able to dive into your word. To be able to see what it is you want to say to us. For today through a book that was written thousands of years ago by the hands of those who have gone on before us into glory under the inspiration of the same Spirit that resides in each of us by faith <clears throat> who are believers in Christ. And so we know that you have something to say to us today in 2021 about how we are to live our lives for your glory and in the power of that Spirit who lives inside of us. Teach us today. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're in Galatians 5. Last week, we, um, we began in, in the first part of uh, the first 12 verses and today we're going to pick up with verse 13 and on. Back in 2018, during the wildfires in, in California, a high school senior named Gabe missed out on qualifying for the state cross-country um, meet because of, of the fires that were going on. And so he missed the actual meet where he would qualify. And because of that, um, the state athletic board gave him another shot. But he had to run the race by himself on another uh, uh, high school track that he wasn't familiar with in street, or street shoes because his running shoes were, were burned up in the fire at his house. Well, the day came when Gabe was going to run this race all by himself on someone else's track, and he showed up. And unbeknownst to him, some of the other high school kids that he ran against from other schools showed up. They had a pair of running shoes for Gabe to wear, and they decided to run with him to help him keep pace so he could uh, keep up so that he could qualify for the state meet. Gabe's opponents had no obligation to him to help him in this way. They could have given into their natural desires to, to, um, uh, to improve their own, uh, their own odds by hoping that he did not qualify for the meet. But they showed up, and they ran with him. What would prompt these teenagers, competitors from other schools, to show up to help him? to encourage him and help him keep pace. 
There's no personal advantage to them. It didn't benefit them at all. In fact, it actually was detrimental to their chances. They did it purely out of kindness for another human being. Kindness for a fellow competitor, a fellow runner. Apostle Paul talks, has been talking about the difference between law and grace. There is no law that could be enacted, that could be followed, that would motivate a person to love like that. To do something for someone else simply for their benefit with no advantage for oneself. There is no law that can prompt that kind of love, that kind of kindness. And this is, in essence, what the Apostle Paul is helping the, the, the believers in Galatia understand is you can keep the law if you want. You can try, but you'll never keep it perfectly. But that law will never do what God wants to do in your life. What God has provided for you by His Holy Spirit. And so he's challenging them to walk in the freedom that Christ has provided for them. Last week, as we looked at verses 1 through 12, we looked at this, um, the reason uh, why God was, or Paul was calling them to walk in this freedom. It starts with, in verse 1, it says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject to a yoke of slavery. Again, to a yoke of slavery. He gives two imperatives there. Uh, after he tells them that you've been set free, and, and it was for freedom that Christ has set you free, he says, keep standing firm. That's an imperative, a command in the Scriptures. And then the second is, do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. And so we talked last week about walking in the freedom of Christ and how this is, a, again, something we must do. This isn't an option according to the Scriptures. It's the imperative of the text. We must. Why? And we looked at last week, because Christ has set us free. We walk in that freedom because Christ has made it available. And we talked about the fact that we're free from the law in regards to justification. The law cannot save us. Never it was intended to save us. It was given to reveal transgressions, to reveal the need for what God would provide. And the whole sacrificial system was a picture of that reality. You cannot measure up to this perfect standard. Therefore, a blood sacrifice needed to be uh, shed on your behalf. And that blood sacrifice was a picture at that time of what God would provide in the future through His Son, the perfect Lamb of God. Paul also wants us to understand that the law is not a means of sanctification. The law cannot make you a better person, a better Christian. It might cause your behavior on the external, on the outside, to look a certain way if you follow it. But Paul says if you're going to follow it, you're going to follow all of it. You're obliged to it all. And that was kind of some of what he was saying last week in the first 12 verses. But you can never do that. And it doesn't have the power to bring about the transforming work that God intends to do in our lives. The law cannot do that. Again, it was never intended to do that. So now we come to verses 13 through 18, and we see the second and third reason why we must walk in the freedom of Christ. He says in verse 13, For you are called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. 
but through love serve one another. Well, the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in this statement. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Again, we find a few imperatives in the text, a few commands. The first is to serve one another in verse 13. The second is to take care in verse 15 that you not be consumed by one another. And the third is to walk, verse 16, by the Spirit. And so we're given, again, more commands that we must walk in the freedom that we have in Christ. And in this text, he gives the second reason. Because Christ has called us to freedom. You see, it's one thing to be set free from bondage, which the first point was. It's another thing to be called up to walk in that freedom. To be set free from a bondage, the, the, uh, this external stuff, whether it was the law for the Jews or whether it was uh, the pagan rituals and all that that the Gentiles seemed to feel like they had to keep to appease their gods, whatever that form of bondage was, Christ has set us free from it. Again, that's one thing to be set free from that, but it's another thing to be called to walk in that freedom in the way we live our lives. And this is what Paul is calling us to, to walk in the freedom. So what does that look like? Well, he tells us what it doesn't mean, and then he tells us what it does mean. First of all, this Christian freedom is not about self-indulgence. He says, do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. When we view freedom as the ability to do whatever we want to do, we easily fall into this trap. Now, understand, what we oftentimes do as Americans in the United States is we associate what freedom as a U.S. citizen means, and we read that into the text. To be free as a U.S. citizen means all kinds of things for us. It means all kinds of freedoms and abilities and, and, and blessings that we have in this life. And there's, that's, that's all good and well, but, but that is not what it means in Scripture when it says we are free. It doesn't mean you, you can do whatever you want to do. And even as a U.S. citizen, there are laws we must abide by. This means that we are not, well, it doesn't mean that we just do what we want to do, this self-indulgence, but this is the trap that we fall into if we don't understand what this freedom is. In fact, this word opportunity, what it means is the starting point or the base of operations. And so we cannot use freedom as the springboard or the base of operations for fleshly behavior. That's the point that Paul is making is this is not, walking in freedom doesn't mean you do whatever you want to do. 
and then maybe when it's convenient to help somebody else, you do. No, there's a different standard here for followers of Christ. I don't want to read something that D.A. Carson writes in his book, For the Love of God, a daily companion for discovering the riches of God's Word. He says, people do not drift toward holiness. It doesn't just happen by chance, right? He says, apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, and delighting in the Lord. We drift toward compromise. and We call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We drift toward superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. And we slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves that we have been liberated. This freedom isn't about just passively sitting back and saying, oh, I can do whatever I want. Because when we do that, it will lead to self-indulgence. I will do what my flesh wants to do when I let my guard down. I will give in to all kinds of desires and, and, and wants and pleasures if I let down my guard and say, well, I can just relax and do whatever I want to do. I'm free. I have freedom. And people use this freedom in Christ to do all kinds of fleshly things in this world today. This is one of the uh, things that Paul was, was facing, the opposition, when he started preaching that we are saved by grace and not by the keeping of the law. They're saying, okay, well then people can do whatever they want to do. Well, so that's not the point. And that's not what really happens to a genuine believer who has the Holy Spirit and who understands what this freedom is, that he now or she now is able to live the way God intended them to and not according to the flesh. Not giving in to all those desires and fleshly and sinful things that are a part of our life outside of Christ. Christian freedom is not about self-indulgence. What is it about? It is about self-sacrifice. It's about the fact that I now have the opportunity to choose to live my life for Jesus Christ and for the benefit of other people. I get the privilege of living that way. That's what I've been created for, designed by God for, to make a difference in this life. Christian freedom is about self-sacrifice. He says, do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. It's what those teenagers did for that young man, Gabe, in California. We've been called up to something more significant than self-serving, self-indulgent behavior. We've been called up to use our freedom to benefit other people. And we can look at this and say, well, that doesn't sound like freedom. That's because we're thinking with our fleshly mind. You see, when we, get in, when we get to the point where we, we say, I do want to do what God wants. I, I struggle. 
I, you know, I have this, this, this battle going on inside of me, but there's something in me that wants to do something that benefits other people. There's something inside of me that wants to, to live in such a way that my life matters for eternity. You see, that's the work of the Holy Spirit inside of us, prompting that kind of desire. We, because of Christ, have the freedom to live that way. To live in that. It says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. In the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What does all that mean? Let me, let me read for you from Kenneth Weist. His word stays in the Greek New Testament. First he says how we've been, how we, we go from one law, a law of that, that is demanding that, that to one that is freeing. He says this, the individual is released from one law consisting of a set of ethical principles to which was attached blessing for obedience and punishment for the, in the case of disobedience. He's talking about the law, right? The Old Testament law. A law that gave him neither the desire nor the power to obey its commands and is now brought under another law, the law of love, which is not a set of written commandments, but an ethical and spiritual dynamic produced in the heart of the yielded believer of the Holy Spirit, who gives him or her both the desire and the power to live a life in which the dominating principle is love, God's love, which exercises a stronger and stricter control over the heart and is far more efficient at putting out sin in the life than the legalizers ever could have imagined the thunders of Sinai could produce. The whole law is fulfilled, he says, in this one thing. Love your neighbors yourself. What does that mean? He says, literally this means the whole law stands fully obeyed when we live this way. The idea, he says, is not that the whole law is embraced or summed up in the one act of loving one's neighbor as oneself. There's a whole lot of detail in the law, right? But that in doing that, in loving your neighbors yourself, one is complying with the whole law and its demands. Oh, think about the Ten Commandments. The first five commandments teach us how to love God, and the last ones teach us how to love other people. If we are loving God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving other people as ourselves, we will be keeping the commandments. You don't murder if you love the person. And you don't commit adultery against somebody that you love. You don't steal or lie or do those things toward people that you love. That's not how we love people. Not the way the scripture calls us to love. It's all fulfilled, if you will. And this isn't the only place that the Apostle Paul teaches this. In Romans chapter 13, he says the same thing. In verses 8 through 10, he says, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it's summed up in this saying, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. Again, we have to define love as not this, this feeling that I have that, that makes me do things that, that, that my flesh wants to do. Right? We, we in, in our society have 
warp the concept of love. Love is agape love. It's self-sacrificing self love. It's doing what's in the best interest of another person kind of love, not what meets my fleshly needs. And how many people have indulged in the flesh in the name of love? And then think that, well, that's the highest principle, so I'm, I'm just operating out of love. We have to define it as God defines it. And what Paul is, is trying to help them understand is that when you live this way, you've already fulfilled the law. There's no need for all these uh, laws, rules, and regulations that have come down, that, that now the legalizers who've come into the church from, from Jerusalem are trying to put on them. See, when we serve others out of a genuine love for them rather than obligation to fulfill a law, we're able to truly minister to them and their needs. We're able to live out the life God has called us. And then he says, verse 15, but if instead you, again, in the flesh, bite and devour one another, take care, that's the imperative, take care lest you be consumed by one another. When we operate in the flesh, either by trying to keep the law or by living in, in indulgence, self-indulgence, it will lead to conflict of some kind in our relationships with other people. See, legalism can go both ways. Legalism can be, well, I have to keep all these laws. Or there, there's, uh, there's the, the other side. I guess it's not legalism, but it's, it's just license. Like, I, I can do whatever I want to do. And that's kind of then your new law is that, oh, I, wanted, I can do what I want. I'm, I'm free. I can, I can uh, you know, whatever the issue is, I can indulge in it. And, and there's no consideration to what the Word of God has to teach or what God would have us to do. See, these things keep us from deep and abiding relationships with people. Particularly, I think about legalism. It, it, it provides a, a way for us to compare ourselves with other people and then to judge other people based on that comparison. And it keeps people at a distance. Because you don't really move into people's lives because you're trying, to, you're trying to keep people at a distance so they don't see the real stuff inside. They just see the externals because you've evaluated life by the externals. So if I, if I look a certain way, if I act a certain way in public, if I keep that persona and keep people at a distance, they'll think that I'm a good Christian, but behind the scenes I can do whatever I want to do because nobody knows about that. And then I will feel like I'm a good faithful Christian because I keep these lists of things I have established for myself. Or, I'm, or I make the things that God has called me to that are helpful in my walk with Christ, I make them into rules, external things. For example, some of the things that are really important to me, being together, right, faithfully with God's people. Attending church on a regular basis, again, as we, as we can and however means we can, but being together and faithfully worshiping and serving God together. Uh, uh, spending time in God's Word consistently. Time, time praying to God consistently. 
You see, I can either use those things as a list of rules, make it a legalistic thing, or I can understand them as helping in my walk with God. I can look at reading my Bible every day as something I must do to earn God's help and favor. And if I don't, then I feel like somehow God's going to get me. God's going to make my day go bad. And so I've got to do it, and it becomes kind of a, a, a rule for me. I've got to do this or God's going to not be pleased with me. And so what happens when I miss a day? Ah, oh, man, I feel so guilty, and, and then I, I feel like I can't pray because I've disappointed God today. And, and then I, you know, and then that becomes the thing. Now, what if I do it consistently every day? Man, I feel like I am on top of the world, Christian. I spend time with God every day for the past three months. Reading through the Bible and just, I got it all. I mean, it's not about that. Why do I read my Bible every day? Because I want to meet with God and find out what God has to say to me today because God's word is, is bread to me. It, it feeds my soul because I want to have a relationship with God. I want to get to know God better. Why do I pray? Because I want to have intimacy with my God. Why do I come together? Why do we come together and, and, and spend time in God's Word and sing and to do this together? Because we're in fellowship because we'll worship God and honor Him together. See, we can take something that's good and turn it into a legalistic thing. Or we can see it for what it is supposed to do. So that when there's a day when I'm so exhausted and I just don't have the energy I don't feel like I, I walked off the edge of, of Christianity because I missed a day in God's Word. I cry out to God in my, in my uh, weakness and, and just, God, help me today. I don't have the energy that I normally do today, but God, I need you today. And that's maybe the end of it in my, in my, in my, uh, in my time with God. And it's okay because you're, you're calling out in your desperate time. God has called us to freedom. Let's live in that freedom. And then, second, and then lastly, why must we walk in freedom in Christ? Because Christ has provided us the means. 16, 17, and 18. Says, Here's what I tell you to do. And this is the command. Walk by the Spirit. And when you do, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. To walk means more than just, you know, one step in front of the other. It's, it's referring to my life. It's how I live my life. The way I go about daily life. The key to living this freedom that is ours in Christ is found in the person and work of the Holy Spirit. You know, the tradition I grew up in the church is very conservative, fundamentalist kind of kind of uh, churches, very, very, very little emphasis on the Holy Spirit. It's almost as if there's a fear of the Holy Spirit and, and what might happen if we talk about the Holy Spirit. We might get a little bit too charismatic and things might happen. And when we get afraid of that. So what do we do? Then we make it all about externals. Because we can do those externals in our own flesh. We don't need the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. And so then we make those marks, the, the marks of mature Christianity. And we can do all of that without the Holy Spirit ever showing up. 
And again, we, you know, we, 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 we make sure that the externals are all looking good, but then behind the scenes, our life falls apart. There's just chaos all over the place. There's indulgence. There's, there's laziness. There's all kinds of things like that. And we never deal with it because as long as we present Holy Spirit is critical. The work of the Holy Spirit in your life and mine is critical to living out this freedom. And it doesn't mean that we have to get into all the deviations that I, I believe some churches have by overemphasizing certain elements in the Scripture and giftings that, uh, that may not even be for today. And this freedom, what does it mean? It means that in Christ, we can choose to yield to the Holy Spirit. When we come to know Christ in a personal way by putting our faith in Jesus, the moment we do that, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. And I believe the teaching of Scripture is that He will never leave us. He's there until we are ushered into the presence of God uh, after death or, or, the, or the, uh, the, uh, the rapture. But the Holy Spirit, even though He resides inside of us, does not have control of our lives until we yield that. God could do that if He wanted. He's, he's sovereign. He could, he could say, well, I'm, I'm gonna, now you're going to be mine. I'm going I'm to make you do all these things that I want you to do. God doesn't operate that way. He wants your participation in mine. He wants us to give in. He wants us to yield control of our lives to His Spirit. <clears throat> so that He might sit on the throne of our hearts and lives on behalf of Jesus Christ, so that then Christ's life could then be in operation in our lives. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And to walk by the Spirit means to yield control of my life to Him so that my life is now under the control of the Holy Spirit to work in my lives. We've been given freedom by Christ's death on the cross and our faith in Him. And we're called to walk into the control of the Holy Spirit in that freedom. That's the only way to live the life God has intended for us. And look at what he tells us in that second part of verse 16. When you do this, when I do this, we will not carry out the desire of the flesh. You see, in Christ, we can choose to deny the flesh. Outside of Christ, we couldn't. That doesn't mean that, that when we were, before we came to know Christ or every unbeliever is doing everything that flesh wants. No, it doesn't mean that. But there is a, there is a compelling there that we give into, And even when we do good things, it doesn't honor Christ because it's done in our own flesh and our own power. It's not as God intended. God intended for us to live under the control of the Holy Spirit because this is how Jesus lived. I mean, he walked the earth. Jesus didn't do anything in his own initiative. He even said that. He said, what I see the Father doing, I do. He did everything he did in his human body in the, under the power of the Holy Spirit. And he showed us how to live as human beings on this earth under the direct control of the Holy Spirit. Notice he doesn't say you will not have the desires of the flesh. 
If that if it said that, man, I'd be I'd be questioning every day whether or not I'm a Christian. <laughs> he says you won't carry them out. You won't operate in the flesh when you are operating in the Holy Spirit. Again, let me appeal to Kenneth Weist in his. Uh, New Testament uh, word stories in the Greek New Testament. He says this, it does not express a command, but gives a strong assurance. If the believer demand, depends upon the Spirit to give him both the desire and the power to do the will of God, he will not bring to fulfillment in action the evil impulses of the fallen nature, but will be able to resist and conquer them. We must be careful to notice that Paul puts upon the believer the responsibility of refusing to obey and be the behests of the evil nature by conducting himself in the power of the Holy Spirit and under his control. The Holy Spirit has been given him as the agent to counteract the evil nature, but he does not for the but he does that for the saint when the saint puts himself under his control and by an act of his free will says a point-blank positive no to sin. In other words, there must be a cooperation of the saint with the Holy Spirit in the work of the sanctifying life. We have choice. We can choose to operate in the flesh and we can choose to operate in the Holy Spirit. It's our choice. For Christ, you didn't have that choice. Paul says, if you're going to live, God-honoring life, you must walk in the Spirit. And this is, where, this is where when we live for today instead of for eternity, the, the flesh will compel us so strongly. If, what I, if I'm so focused upon this stuff, right here, right now, what's going on in my life right now and what I can enjoy and what I can't enjoy. All that. If that's the, the primary focus of my life, it's going to be really hard for me to choose to walk by the Spirit. But if my primary focus is upon eternity, upon the eternal uh, realm and, and understanding that God has a purpose for my life that is bigger than this life and he wants to work through me to accomplish things that have eternal ramifications if my desire is to see people come to Christ grow up in Christ and live for Christ then I'm going to walk by the spirit because guess what I can't do any of those things by myself I got a master's degree in, in, uh, in divinity I can't do any of this stuff in my own understanding and my own ability I can't and no amount of education will provide that for me. It's only by the work of the Holy Spirit in a yielded life will these things come to be. Are those things helpful? Knowledge and understanding and experience helpful? Yes. Holy Spirit takes and uses that in the life of a person who's under his control. But there is no substitute for this. We choose to yield to the Spirit. We choose to deny the flesh. And then two remaining thoughts, verses 17 and 18. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh. These are in opposition to one another. So that you don't carry out the things you, you desire, you please. The flesh and the Spirit are waging war against one another. And you've got <clears throat> the fleshly nature inside of you born with it. I was born with it. It isn't gone until we're in the presence of God. 
But now that we come to know Christ, we also have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And now you've got this war going on. In a humorous way, remember that the old, or old cartoons where you got the, the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other, and they're trying to tell him what to do. And, and uh, it, it, it's like that, only it's, it's much more uh, vibrant than that, if you will. There is a reality within us compelling us to operate in the indulgence of the flesh. And for everyone, it looks different, right? What those necessarily um, pleasures are, what those compelling things are in your life or mine could look different, but the reality is we have those, and then there's the Holy Spirit working in us who is calling us to give Him control so He can work in our lives. Again, He could do it without our permission, but He chooses not to. Here's what, uh, again, we says, when the flesh presses hard upon the believer with its evil behests, the Holy Spirit is there to oppose the flesh and give the believer victory over it. In order that the believer will not obey the flesh and thus sin. Consequently, also, when the Holy Spirit places a course of conduct upon the heart of a believer, the flesh opposes the Spirit in order to prevent the believer from obeying the Spirit. The purpose of each is to prevent the believer from doing what the other moves him to do. The choice lies with the saint. He must develop the habit of keeping his eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus and his trust in the Holy Spirit. There's no way around it. And that's why when you feel compelling by the Holy Spirit to do something, and there's all this other stuff inside saying, ah, you know, you, you can do that later. When it's convenient for you, you've got all these other things, all these other responsibilities you've got to do. You know, you, you'll get to that, right? And then oftentimes we never get to it. Because the flesh is saying, ah, and then when your flesh wants you to do something, you've got something inside of you that's saying, you really shouldn't do that. You know what the consequences of that would be. You, um, you, that's not who you are. You know, you've got the Holy Spirit telling you these things. There's a battle going on. That's why we've got to keep our eyes on Jesus. Because let me tell you, your eyes will be on fleshly things because we live in a culture that bombards us constantly. And if you and I are not in God's word putting our eyes on him and on what he says and who, on who he is and what he calls us to, it's only a matter of time before we're influenced by the flesh because the flesh is screaming at us day by day by day all over the place. Then he concludes with this wonderful truth summarizing this, he says, if you are led by the Spirit, if you walk by the Spirit, if you are under the control of the Holy Spirit, you're not under law. This is the hope, this is the encouragement to them as they were, as they were contemplating and saying, okay, the law is, is good, right? Th these things are good to do. It's not, like, it's not like the law is telling me to do things that are, that are bad. No, the law is good. Then what Paul's saying sounds good too. How do I, he says, if you walk by the Spirit, then you're, you're not under that. Because guess what? You're fulfilling it. And so then you don't have to worry about all the details of, of all those things. You are letting the Holy Spirit work in your life. But for you and I, what it comes down to is, who am I going to 
follow? Who am I going to give control of my life to? And this isn't a passive thing. It's a, it's a being willing to be led. That's not easy, especially in the U.S. Because what's the American dream? Have it your way. Be your own boss. You tell other people what to do. You don't serve anybody. You're the man. You're the woman. You are in charge. And what God is calling us to is to yield and say, I'm going to follow someone else. I'm going to let someone else have control and lead my life. And that someone else isn't just someone else. It's the God of the universe. It's the one who loved me so much that he would send his son to, to this earth to take on flesh and die in my place, to free me from the bondage of my own choices and my own sin so that I might spend eternity with him. And he placed his spirit inside of me so that I can live out this life. This one loved me that much. I can trust him with my life. But here's the deal. The choice still remains with you. Who are you going to walk with? Who are you going to walk in obedience to? Your flesh wants to do what you want to do or the Holy Spirit that wants to lead you in the things God wants. The choice is yours. Father, thank you for the opportunity to open your word. Thank you for what you tell us, that if we are led by the Spirit, we're not under law. If we walk by the Spirit, we will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Lord, I acknowledge to you that throughout the day, there's a very strong and compelling within me that wants to do what I want to do. <laughs> and even those things aren't always bad, bad things. But it's what I want to do. And I have to fight to keep yielding. God, this is the reality that we face. So my prayer is for myself and for all of us that, Lord, you would continue to work your grace in our hearts, giving us a greater, stronger desire to follow you. We don't want this in our own flesh. Lord, this is something you have to do in us. And we ask you, we beg of you to keep working this in us. So we will live a life that is under your control. This crucified life where we acknowledge day by day, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. Lord, this is the victorious life. This is the life being led by the Holy Spirit. Lord, in these moments as we hear these things, Lord, there's, you know, we, we, we say, yes, that's what I want. I want it. But then we go out into the world we're exposed to so much. And that desire begins to fade. So God, help us. Infuse your grace in us day by day. Through your word, through your Holy Spirit, through encouragement from one another, 
work a transforming work in us. And we'll thank you, Father. In Christ's name.